morning, if you would turn with me to First John chapter three. I'd like to look again this morning at verses four through ten. Last week we began uh, to look at these verses. We looked specifically at verse ten and um, brought the context of the rest into it. What does it mean to be a child of God, and what does it mean to be children of the devil? And so this morning we we continue on in the study. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you this day. Thank you this day that, that we can ponder what a Savior. Thank you this day that as we look to ourselves and then we look to you and we find a holy God. Praise be to our God that he is not like us. Praise be to you, Father, that you are hallowed. Hallowed be your name, that you are holy. That you are what we desire. Father, as we think of the cross, we think of our sin. And yet we're reminded that it wasn't that, that you forced your son to go to the cross, that you, you willingly went to the cross, that your will was played out, that your son, whom for all eternity only knew holy communion, only knew constant and complete fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, willingly took the wrath of the Father upon himself. Father, your work says that it pleased you to pour out your wrath upon your Son. It pleased you to demonstrate to the world that you are a merciful God. That you're a loving God, that you're a patient God, that you're a just God. Father, as we ponder your greatness and all of your attributes, the only thing we can say is hallelujah. Hallelujah that you're not like us. Hallelujah that we don't need to trust in man. We can trust in you, the perfect one. Father, this morning as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us to make it a light to our path. That you would make it known and understood by us. That God, we would be conformed to the image of Christ. We pray above all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> let's read. Um, let's read again. First John three, four through ten it says, "Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. 
You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And this morning, that's the last verse is where we will focus our attention on. But let's look briefly at the verses we went through last week. The first thing that we, we hit on last week is the understanding of sin. That sin is... As R.C. Sproul put it, sin is cosmic treason. It is, it is transgressing. It is going against the one true God of the universe. And we look specifically at the sin of commission, that sin is transgression of the law, that when we break the law, when we break the Ten Commandments, we are actively sinning. It doesn't matter the magnitude of that sin. It doesn't matter if you're stealing a car, or if you're stealing a pen, it's still transgression of the law. Secondly, we look at the sin of omission, that those who maybe they aren't tra transgressing the law as much as others, but in what happens so often in, in mainstream Christianity today, maybe we, we are a little less on the, the transgressing of the law, yet the, the sin of omission, where we aren't practicing righteousness, where we aren't serving Christ, where we are constantly distracted with the things of the world. Therefore, church and people are making it. It's only when there's nothing else going on. Or it's even, maybe they make it every Sunday, but that is the extent of their commitment towards the body of Christ. They actively practice the sin of omission. Because Christianity was never about showing up to a weekly service. It was all about the Father sending His Son to die upon the cross, to take the punishment in the place of all those who would come to know Him, and to make them a new creation. It's this when, when the Bible speaks of being born again, the new creation is illustrated in this. That the previous creation, the, the one that was born of this earth, that was born of Adam, was a creation that lived and thrived in the world system. In fact, when we look into the world and we look at non -Christians, some non-Christians, and we say, well, these people aren't Christians, but but they are just an upstanding citizen in their community. And their, their children are, 
on the honor roll and they never miss a day of school and, and, and they, they do all these things. And yet, if they don't know Christ, it's simply that they're thriving in the world system. It's nothing beyond that. And we're tempted to look at the world system because it's the system you and I live in, and we see some who do very well at the world system, and we say, well, those are pretty good people. And it could be farther from the truth. See, the born-again believer transitions. He lives for the world system. He becomes born again, and now all of a sudden, there's a complete new nature. He is now born of the Spirit. And now he lives for God's system. Now he is sold out to Christ. Now God becomes all things. Now he begins imperfectly, as it may be, but he begins to obey the first commandment. He begins to love God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. That God becomes all. Christ becomes all to him. It's not simply picking up a treasure on the path of the world system. It's to jump systems. It's to jump thought process, processes. It's to become a new creation with a new commander, a new Lord, as we say, and yet relatively never understand. To say Jesus is your Lord is that he is your supreme commander. And that your life is essentially laid down to please your Lord. It's the new creation. It's to be born again. Are you still living in the world system? Is that where you find your value? Are you living for Christ? <clears throat> it's really, this is what, what's being pointed out here. If you're still actively sinning, if you remember last week, the practice of sinning, it's that you're willfully sinning, that you're willfully part of the system. You're, uh, as I said, you, you, maybe you're a politician and you're the, in essence, you must become the chief of liars. As a politician, will it be seen as successful in the world? To many, yes. How do we demonstrate it? Have Donald Trump come speak at the Elveston Church and see if he can get a bigger crowd than I can. Amen? Our world sees politicians as some of the most supremely successful people. And yet, we know, and we look, turn on the TV, and we know without a doubt that almost all of them just have to become very good liars. And we find here in 1 John, what does he say? That if you're a Christian, you can't go on lying. You can't continue on. You can't make sin a practice. Therefore, in our world, it's very likely that if you're a genuine born-again believer, maybe God is calling you to run for office. I don't think you will do well. I love you. I'll help you. I'll pray for you. I'll walk the streets with you. But brother, you better make this about sharing the gospel because this is probably as far as it's going to get. Amen? Why? Because I don't expect that you're going to be a good liar. That's what the world system requires. Look at John chapter 8, verses 39 through 41. I'm sorry, the projector isn't working. 
again today. I told Malachi that this is going to be his top project for this week, so either we're going to pound that thing in, we're going to beat that thing into subjection, or we're going to replace it. John 8, 39-41. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I hear heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand for the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Here we find Jesus confronting the religious leaders of this time. And what was the confrontation? Coming back to our scripture in 1 John 3.10, says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So if you remember last week, um, we, we listed out a few different points. The child of God loves the truth. The child of God loves the word of God. And what does it say about the Pharisees? They can't stand Jesus because he is proclaiming the truth. Secondly, today, as we come to uh, the final point of this, what, what else did we just read about the Pharisees? He said again in verse 44, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand for the truth. The Pharisees were murderers. The Pharisees sought to kill the Son of God. And this makes 1 John 3.10 make a little bit of sense because it feels like at the end of 1 John 3.10, so the previous verses we went through very much of the, the child of God doesn't make it a practice of sin. They, they make a practice of, of doing righteousness. The child of God doesn't live in omission, to, in sin of omission. He is actively serving God. And look what we find the child, the children of the devil. They are liars and they are murderers. So again, let's come back to 1 John 3.10. I'm sorry for jumping around a little bit there. It says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And this is where it seems like John throws us a curveball because it seems like he comes off topic, but, but he actually isn't. And after the, the following verses after this, he's going to go into more detail on this 
this seemingly change of, of direction. He says, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now I ask you this morning, what is the opposite of loving your brother? It's to murder. Right? It's, it's the, the polar extreme. And so we, we get this understanding that ch the children of God love their brother. The children of the devil, murder. They kill. What does the Bible say about murder? He who hates his brother is a murderer. So often when we share the gospel, people are like, well, I know I've kept some of the Ten Commandments. And I've surely kept the sixth one. I've never murdered someone. And what, what do we reply with? Have you ever hated somebody? Because the Bible says God not only sees your deeds, he sees your thoughts. And he sees um, your words. And he says, he who hates his brother is a murderer. So this isn't out of context. This isn't out of character. This really isn't a curveball. It's that John is, is making this um, more complete. And in the book entitled Duties of Christian Fellowship uh, by John Owen, the first rule that he lists for believers towards each other, he says rule number one is believers have a duty of affectionate, sincere, genuine love in all things towards one another. A love compared to that of Christ for the church. He continues a little later as he expounds upon this rule. And he says, the teaching of the Lord Jesus emphasizes no other virtue as highly as that of mutual, intense, affectionate love amongst his followers. Now, a little later, if, you, if you've read this book, you'll know that John Owen in his time, I think, I think, I'm guessing here I should have put it down. I think he was in the 1680s, 90s, somewhere in that era. John, you can feel his, his heart ache as he says, this kind of love in the church is almost non-existent any longer in our time. And I would ask you this morning, is this kind of love what is signified or what is, what is, what is the primary attribute of the church in Elveston? Is it, is it that we would say and that we would demonstrate with our lives that the teaching of the Lord Jesus emphasizes no other virtue as highly as that of mutual, intense, affectionate love amongst his followers? Is that true of you? Now again, to, to come back to uh, what um, we seem to go down, we seem to have this cycle throughout all over and over in history, um, all the way from the Israelites, that we tend to always want to make God be something that fits our schedule. See, it's it's no it's no um, it's no confusion or no lack of understanding that that makes us look at the Church of England and, and the Church of Rome and 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 all those who would say. You don't worry about the word of God. We'll do the religious part. You just come and give us money. You just come and do your thing. 
It's no strange thing that we see repeated throughout history, this, this separation or this intentional or this, this, this idea where the, the church leadership wants to separate itself from the people. And the people can do their thing and we'll do our thing. And you don't even need to read your Bibles because we'll tell you what you need to know. Friends, it is a destruction of God's kingdom. It is an attack of the enemy. This isn't how God designed his church. And so we find, as this rears its head, and then, it, it, then God, by his goodness, brings reformation to the church and brings the people of God back to the scriptures, and begins to unite them once again in love for each other. Brothers and sisters, understand this. We can't love as God has called us to love. We can't love in this manner simply by showing up on Sunday morning. The idea that Christianity is about coming to church once a week, and, and, and we live in a culture where that has almost seemed impossible for many. But I would tell you this morning, it's not even the, the first rung of Christian fellowship. It's not even the first rung of where we are to be in Christ. You can't love as God has called you to love simply by coming to church on Sunday morning. So, so often I think back to just the last two years and um, the concern that I had, especially, actually it never waned, it still goes on, when we, we were, um, when we started to meet online to try to protect ourselves or to try to make sense of what was going on, and immediately, um, not just myself, but many men whom I know, our alarms went off. If we begin to say that you can go to church online, it is, you, you simply can't do, you, you would live in the sin of omission. Because you can't do what God has called you to do. You cannot. And in fact, this morning, and I've said it many times, going to church online is not going to church at all. It is not church. And yet we live in a culture where that's good enough. And it's because people are deceived into this notion that I can just do my thing and I can live just like the world. Brother and sister, John has made it very clear in this text that you can't live like the world. Let me rephrase that. You can live like the world, but it means that you're of the world. It means that you don't know Christ. And this morning, if you're comfortable in the world, if you're comfortable living like that, and, and if, if your idea of going to church is simply to watch online, and um, you're a strapping young man, and there's no reason for you to not come to church, you're in sin, and you're in deep sin. And it's alarming of your lack of love for your brothers and sisters. You should be deeply concerned. Let me read that quote by John Owen again. The teaching of the Lord Jesus emphasizes that no other virtue, or emphasizes no other virtue as highly as that of mutual, intense, affectionate love amongst his followers. Brothers and sisters, can you look around the room and honestly say 
that every person you look at knows that you deeply love them? Elders, you're called to this. John Owen continued and said, it is the fountain of every other discipline in the church. It's the fountain of everything else, that we can't do anything else in the church effectively if we don't love. I can't even correct my brother without laying a track record and them knowing without a shadow of a doubt that this pastor, while he's although he's getting on me about something right now, I know that he loves me. Brother and sister, this is the love that you're called to, to every one of your brothers. Amen? John 13, 34 through 35 says, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Brothers and sisters, evangelism springs forth from a love for the brothers. It is, we we read this verse, that actually is a draw to the church. Casino night and all these other, I'll use a harsh word, all these other stupid things. It's contrary to Scripture. The Scripture tells you what to do. It doesn't say make your church like the world. It doesn't say wear the coolest t-shirts. It doesn't say wear your skinny jeans if you're a pastor. It says to love one another. This is the draw. If you're going to pour your life into evangelism, start with loving your brother. Jerry Bridges, in, in his book, The Gospel for Real Life, says... He explains this. He says, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? He says, among other things, this would mean you you cherish for your neighbors the very same love that you bear towards yourself. In your dealings with them, you never show selfishness, irritability, peevishness, or indifference. You take a genuine interest in their welfare and seek to promote their interests, honor, and well-being. You never regard them with a feeling of prideful superiority, nor do you ever talk about their feelings. Uh, You never resent any wrongs they do to you, but instead, you're always ready to forgive. And you always treat them as you would have them to treat you. To paraphrase 1 Corinthians 13, 4-5, you're always patient and kind, never envious or boastful. Never proud or rude, never self-seeking. You are not easily angered, and you keep no record, even in your mind of wrongs done to you. Do you love your brothers and sisters in this way? Now understand, and Jerry Bridges would understand this well, um, when he speaks of we never talk about past failings, that means past failings that you've repented of. Correct? It's also held in context with the rest of Scripture. If you're actively in sin, to love my brother is to go to him. Amen? Romans 13.8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 Now concerning brotherly love, 
You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. You ask, well, how have I been taught by God? You've been taught by Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have nothing to offer God. See, the, the mainstream Christianity wants to say, God, you know, he's just, he just thinks, he, he wants you to come to know him so bad, and he, 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 just, he just has to, to fold his hands and just hope that somehow you'll, you'll come to your senses. That's not scriptural, that's not the Bible, and that's not the God whom we serve. In essence, you have nothing to offer him. Your pastor has nothing to offer him. The only thing I have is what he has given. I have nothing to be proud about. I have nothing. And you have nothing. And yet, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. He died to rescue us. See, when we, when we go to the, the Bible and we think of Christ, it's this treasure, remember the parable, the treasure the man found in the field, and he sold everything to buy this field and so that he might have this treasure. But for us, we're not a treasure at all. We're a lump of coal. Yet Christ died for us. For his glory. While he had, we had nothing to offer, he laid down his life. Brother or sister, I would ask you to, to look at your spouse. If tomorrow something happens and they find themselves unresponsive in a hospital with nothing to offer you. You still love them as Christ loved the church? Absolutely. Because that's what you were. I, I believe, um, I think it was R.C. Sproul that illustrated it well, um, really drawing out the, the wrong idea of what we, the, the illustrations that, that mainstream Christianity uses for salvation. The guy that's in the sea, that he's just wave, waving his hands and and Jesus throws him the life preserver, and he just hopes that he will grab it so he can save him and pull him in. And R.C. Sproul points out that this is an unbiblical illustration. The true illustration is that Jesus is in the boat, and you're, at the, you're dead at the bottom of the sea. Dead men don't do anything. They just float. Or they don't even float. You're sank to the bottom. And if God has called has decided to save you, Jesus reaches down and grabs you and pulls you out of the water and breathes life into you. You have nothing to offer. You don't even have, you can't even stand before God and, and beat on your chest and say, God, I'm smarter than my neighbor. At least I chose you. You don't even get to do that. That's his for his glory as well. Can you love your brother or sister in that manner? How about when they do everything that you can't stand? How about when, if, if Ethan is tailgating me all the way to, to, to church on Sunday morning, can I still love him? 
lot of he has sins that I've conquered long ago, and yet he still struggles with, can I still love him? It's the love that we're called to. Now, understand, I'm not saying that, that love ignores sin, but I am saying it bears with it. The Bible instructs us to bear with one another. And that very with has this understanding. You, so I, I preach on homeschooling a lot. Because I, I think I'm pleading for your kids' lives, to be honest. To be completely honest. I'm pleading for their lives. But you know what? When my kids went to a public school. I didn't know any better. I took, we took Malachi out because they did something that offended me. I said, if you're not going to stand up for my kid, then he's going to stay home. I, I believed so many bad things about Scripture. I've come to the realization of so many things that if I knew Myself of 10 years ago, if he showed up here today, I would have a hard time bearing with him. But I know where God has brought me in 10 years. And I know that I better bear with him. As the Bible says, if I don't, if I cause him to, to sin, it's better that I have a millstone hung around my neck. It doesn't mean that I don't confront, it doesn't mean that I don't disciple. But it means in that process, I love him deeply. And when, when he wants to sing songs that I don't like, I say, well, brother, I love you. I just, I, I'm not a fan of that song. Can you just pick a different one? And sometimes it's like, you know, I, I don't really like that song, but it's not terrible, so I guess. So the Bible said, continuing on, the Bible talks about what, what is love? In 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, and many of you have heard this, um, probably at weddings and different things, but let's read it quickly. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give always... If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for the prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. 
these three, but the greatest of these is love. I'd like to draw your attention to the first part of this. It says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Hear me, brothers. This could be a trap of knowledge. I believe we are blessed. And this morning, I believe specifically, if you understand the biblical doctrine of salvation, if you if you come have come to understand reformed theology, uh, someone call it Calvinism, but if you understand the doctrines of grace, understand this rightly. You have understood, and you know this, you have understood something in Scripture that has been a key to unlock and to make so much of Scripture fit together in a way that you didn't see before. We are extremely blessed. Hear me, we are extremely blessed. It, it brings joy to come to Scripture, and, and those things of which seemed very hard to understand because I understand, because God has made other doctrines known, it, it, it's like you it's like putting a puzzle together and you start to see how every piece fits together. Now understand this morning, if you don't if you don't if you haven't come to wholeheartedly believe in the doctrines of grace, I understand. I believe that they are biblical. And, I, and here's, here's the issue. When you come to see how this fits, it is an extreme blessing. I, I can't... It's, it's a gift from God, to be honest. And, and if, you, if you see this and you see how it works, this gift becomes, can become so amazing that you want it for your brother more than he does. And if the gift of knowledge becomes more than the gift of love, it can be very hurtful to our brother. The Bible has much to say of the one who has stronger and weaker faith. We have to be very careful. You don't have to believe in the doctrine of election to go to heaven. I will tell you if you don't believe it, you're missing out. But I understand. I was where you are. Understand. And you're not a second class Christian. You're not second class in my book. And if and if you look out and this and many thankfully and and the last few years, many have seen this issue and they've warned against it. If, if you love your one brother more because he has a deeper understanding of Scripture than the other brother, you are not understanding the path of sanctification correctly. Because I am to love the new Christian just as much as I am to love the old Christian. In fact, you almost need to love the new Christian more. Because they're going to need much teaching. They're going to need much discipling. And you can't do that if you don't love them. You can do it for a time and they will leave. 
They won't be able to bear with you. They won't be able to bear with me. Paul Washer said this well. He said, all your reformed theology and good doctrine will be annulled if you do not outlove those who oppose you. Brothers and sisters, it's a great thing to have knowledge. And in fact, when the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, it says mind. You are to love him with your mind. You are to desire to understand him. You, you should dig deeply into the well of Scripture. <laughs> Yet it's still secondary to love. And if you have all knowledge, you don't love, you're clanging God. Well, this morning I, I can stomp very hard on your feet on this because my feet hurt as well. And I understand it very well. I look into the world and I see how people behave. I see people who are pastors of church churches, the things they put on the internet, the things that they laugh at. And there's a part of me that, that says, well, they're a pastor, they should know better, and I have no room for them. And there's a part of that, that that's true. Not always, not a part. Inside the church, understand this well. We have infant Christians, we have mature Christians. Now you can't stay an infant for 30 years. If you do, I don't believe that you're a Christian. But everybody's at their different spot. But we loving them. And here's, here's where I'm going with this, and I'm almost finished. This is the sin that I fall into. And this is where I was going with this. I know in 1 John 3, 10 it says, Nor is the one who does not... Well, let me read it all. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And can I tell you what goes on in this flesh, in this wicked heart? I'm, I'm going to bear my flesh before you. You know what it says? It says, well, I'm supposed to love my brother. But God, who's my brother? There's a group of Pharisees that asked a very similar question. In Luke chapter 10, 25 through 29, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to, that, said to him, What is written on, in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said this to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. In verse 29, it says, but he, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus, you can't just put a blanket statement out there and say, I have to love my neighbor. Because who's my neighbor? It's surely not, surely not the Samaritan dog. It's surely not the guy from the, 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 the neighboring town who they, he stinks. Surely not the, and specifically when we apply it to the Samaritans, surely not the Samaritans who knew nothing about God. 
They don't even have his word. They don't know nothing about him. How could he be my neighbor? Brothers, well, this is an area of my heart that I've had to wrestle with. I've had to beat into subjection. Now understand, there is a time where there are those inside the church make it abundantly clear that they are wolves. But until they do, I have to love them. I have to bear with them. I have to overlook their ignorance. Not to sweep it all under the carpet, that's not what I'm saying. But hear me. Someone claims to be a brother. And they have all they they just maybe they just came to know Christ. And they have all kinds of rough edges. And those rough edges scratch me every time I talk to them. But they're on the right path. I just need to love my brother. I just need to love him. There isn't a person in this room, including myself. I tell Greg this a lot. I say, Greg, I'm a very good nitpicker. I could find a problem in somebody. My, I have a, a very good ability to find it, to my shame. But you know what? I don't nitpick people that are growing. Because the Holy Spirit's a better transformer than I am. Amen? Amen. This morning, hear me rightly. We can't love our brothers and sisters by seeing them once a week. That is the Bible has called us to. The people in this room, I used to tell this to the, the youth all the time, you can have friends at school, but the people in this room are your best friends. Figure out how to make that happen. You can have people on the job. You can have you can have family members, but the people in this room are your best friends. Church, make it happen. Make it happen. That's what you're called to. And brothers, who God has blessed with much sanctification, bear with your brothers. Love them. Love them so deeply. That when you come to them, when they really are going down a bad path, and you, you see that they're going to get hurt, when you come to them to warn them about this, let there be no mistake in their mind. This brother loves me. I should probably listen. Amen? Amen. Let's love as God has called us to love. So, in summary, the children of God, they love his law. They love the truth. They don't practice rebellion or lawlessness. They practice righteousness. And they love the brethren. Children of the devil, on the other hand, they don't practice righteousness. They hate the law. They hate the word of God. They do not stand for the truth. They're liars. And they do not love their brother. They will cut him down. They will be a murderer at heart. 
Brothers and sisters, examine yourself. Are you a child of God? Are you a child of the devil? This morning God has demonstrated his love towards you. But this morning, if you would turn from your sin and, and trust in Jesus Christ and seek after him until he gives you a new heart, he will save you. But if he hasn't given you a new heart, you haven't found him. You're in danger. Examine yourself. Seek Christ until you find him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that every time I come to it, Father, I'm, I'm encouraged. And also, Father, I'm convicted. Father, help, help us, Father, to practice the one another's rightly. Help us, Father, not well up in pride as my heart so often wants to, to well up in pride at the knowledge that you have revealed that I begin to not love as I should. Father, help us to make love be a fountain of which every other discipline comes forth. Father, let us as As we, we talked about on Wednesday, Father, let us wake up every morning and preach the gospel to ourselves. Let us realign our thinking that, that we once again realize is that it's of nothing we deserve. But you have had much grace towards us, much patience towards us. And let us love our neighbor that way, that Father, your name would be glorified, that your word would go forth, that people would see the love between the brothers, and they would see that maybe their neighbor doesn't live like they do. Maybe their neighbor, hopefully so, maybe their neighbor is really salt, and they're different. They're not like the world, and they're strange, but they can't deny that my neighbor doesn't love me. Father, help each of us in this area. Father, help me, Father, to be able to to be able to rightly say, "Follow me as I follow Christ." Father, break my flesh. Father, do what it takes. I glorify you the way I live. Father, as your church, again, do what it takes. Break us until we serve you rightly. Break us until we glorify your name. Father, draw us in this brokenness to you and to each other. We might live out scripture before the world. Father, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.